0: I live in Montana, and so who knows when you're going to need some sort of gizmo or gadget that fits in your pocket that can save you from moose attacks or something like that. And so I'll buy backpacks. I have a dozen backpacks that I use like one of at any given point in time. I buy the weirdest flashlights that I'll lose batteries to or they'll be broken, but I'll still get it because it's cheap. I get lightweight jackets, I get gloves, I get camp stoves, I get heaters, and I'll get all of this because I feel like it'll be good because it has great utility, right? To have these things... They make camping things. They make outdoor things for really good purposes, and they're always trying to make it better with modern technology. Um, but I never could figure out how to use the things I had. And I remember I bought a space heater, like a like a not a space heater, a propane heater, like a portable propane heater. And I've used it once. And but the pièce de résistance of my futile efforts to find something good was um, uh, what, what's the therma thermarest? Yeah, thermarest. Uh, you know, they make the like roll up sleeping pads that inflate, but I found a sleeping pad. That was like this big, so I guess it's not a sleeping pad unless you're like an ant or a squirrel. It's a perfect squirrel sleeping pad. But for me, it was just like this. They make it like a, like a, a butt seat that you would sit on. Um, there's probably a better term than that. Uh, but I got it. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. I could use it at Grizz Games. I could use it when I'm camping. I could use it when I'm traveling. So I got it. And I was super pumped about this. I remember like when I got home, I put it down on the couch and I was sitting on it. I'm like, this is the best thing I've ever bought. It was like four bucks. It's this great therm butt pad. Um, and, and, but, and so I brought it to a Grizz game. The thing is, is, I never sat at a Grizz game. I brought it camping, but I always forget it when I go like on the day hikes where you're going to sit. And then like, Who's going to be the loser Montanan who, before he sits a log, is like, <sighs> and then they sit on it. And then, so what I ended up doing was, it was this awkward thing that I had, and it took up space in my backpack, and I'd bring it places, and it would just, it didn't roll up well, it had lost the clasp, and it just kind of became awkward, um, and we've all had a really awkward therm rest squirrel inflatable bed at one point in our lives. Something we see a lot of value in when we first get it. We're really excited about it. We really think this is going to be good. It's going to benefit us. But then we wrestle to find a good use for it. We wrestle to find utility or benefit or some sort of application. And the sad thing is that that's the way a lot of us approach Christianity. We know that it's good. We get excited about it. We see... Good things for our life in it. We know that it is of a benefit, but then we become disappointed, become frustrated, we become disheartened because it becomes awkward to use at certain points. We can't figure out the right context. We can't, can't figure out the right rhythm. We know we should read our Bible, but it really doesn't do anything for us. It feels like we're just reading this ancient, distant text. We know we should go to church but eventually it just becomes a rhythm of our time and we don't think about it. We know we should pray, but we start to pray and then we realize we're asleep or we start to pray and we realize we're thinking about our fantasy football lineup or thinking about our test, but we don't really know what we're praying about or we don't almost even know who we're praying to. But that's why I love tonight's passage. Last week, if you were here, we saw this great picture of Peter talking about this inheritance, which is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And it ends with this phrase, uh, that you might obtain the salvation of your souls. And the very next phrase that opens our passage tonight, it says, concerning this salvation. What about this salvation? What's important about it? What's the purpose of it? What's the benefit of it? How does it become more than something that's just a cool idea we talk about in church and we hope for in our life, but we're never actually going to find a place where it's comfortable or reasonable to use? Tonight, we're going to see the benefit of what Peter says is this salvation. And we're going to look at its impact on three types of people. Peter's going to give us three types of people. He's going to give us the Old Testament prophets. He's going to give us uh, preachers who have lived uh, this side of the cross. And by preachers, I don't just mean church preachers. I mean anybody who proclaims the gospel. And then we're going to see the impact on everyday, ordinary believers. And what we're going to see tonight is we think about this idea of how we find benefit in things. What we're going to see is that the benefit of Christianity can only be seen in the beauty of Jesus Christ. The benefit, the utility, the not awkwardness can only be found when we see the beauty of Jesus Christ. That's what I want to pray for tonight. Um, Lord, we come before you. We pray that you show us your beauty. The Bible talks about us having scales over our eyes uh, or veils over our faces, but Jesus came to remove those, to lift the veil, to remove the scales that we might see with new eyes, glory and beauty and amazement at the person and work of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that instead of having an awkward camp pad salvation, that we'll have a salvation that is fitting, that has a benefit and makes a difference in our life. We pray this in your name. Amen. So uh, I want to start by reading the first two verses of what Caleb just read for us. So here we begin in 1 Peter 1 verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So here we see our first group of people we want to look at. What we want to see is we want to look at the prophet's preoccupation. I like alliteration, so I got my alliteration in today. The prophet's preoccupation. And so what's Peter talking about? He's using this, these words prophet and prophesying. Well, your Bible, if you have it in front of you or on your phone, uh, it exists in two parts. You have the Old Testament, which is the bigger, thicker part, and you have the New Testament, which is the later part. And the Old Testament, what it does is it tracks God's relationship to this nation called Israel. And he, he, he finds Abraham and he promises to make them into a people, this nation. And he says that if you obey my commands, I will be your God and you will be my people. But if you disobey my commands, you will not be my people. And you will not have the blessing of being my people. And of course, what we see is that when God approaches anyone in any sort of religion, when we see a God approaching people, they want the blessings of that God, right? It's obvious But then we see that the people wrestle with obeying God. And when we see the story of the one true God, we see the same thing. They want the blessings, but the obedience is hard. And so what happened was God sent a people to them called prophets. Prophets were ordinary people like us whom God gave messages to. And what these prophets did is they spoke from God, really the things that God had already told the people. In Deuteronomy 28, it's split into two things. It says blessings for, this is God talking through Moses, who was a prophet. It says blessings for obedience Curses for disobedience. So already in like the fourth book of your Bible, you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Fifth book of your Bible, you have God saying, if you obey, you'll be blessed. If you disobey, you'll be cursed. And the prophets came and they didn't sit down and they weren't like, on the 13th day of the 12th month, you will eat a bad pastrami sandwich and the Titans will lose. That's not what prophets did. Is they said, hey, God said, if you obey, you're gonna be blessed. So if you disobey, you're gonna be cursed. If you continue to disobey, Bad things are going to happen. You're not going to have the protection of God. You're going to get conquered by other nations. You're not going to be God's distinct people. But if you obey, you'll have hope. And so you see these guys that we know about and maybe heard of, guys like Moses, guys like Elijah, guys like Samuel, people who led the people and spoke to the people. And there was a consistent reprieve that all the prophets would talk about. These prophets prophets spoke across hundreds of years and different different cultures, but they all held some sort of threefold promise. And this promise was that God would set a person to lead his people. He would create a people who would gather faithfully and he would put them in a place where they would live peacefully. So God's promise that the prophets always spoke of was God's person with God's people in God's place. And this was their message of hope. When the people of Israel sinned against God, it was the prophet's uh, job to come and remind them that there was a God who wanted to establish his rule with a people in his place. There is a hope that there would be a time when there is no more sin, no more abusive rulers, no more foreign occupation, no more nomadic wanderings, no more wondering where you're going to live or what you're going to do, or if you're going to live, there would be a time of peace. And it would come when God's person was in charge. And as the spoke, prophet spoke what God co- told them to, they gave messages that they themselves got excited about. And we see that language here. Peter says that they inquired about this. They inquired carefully. They tried to seek out when it was that this person named Christ would come. And, and so the words here, they literally mean to, to, to seek out, to inspect, to interview, to prod, to really take it and look at every angle, to plead with God to say, when is it? When is it that this person is going to come? When is it this Messiah is going to be here? And you can imagine when we think of popular culture, uh, the, the things that come to my nerd mind are Star Wars and the Matrix. Every time there's this hero that comes, they compare them to these prophecies. Is this going to be the one that restores balance to the force? In the Matrix, is this going to be one the one that conquers the Matrix? And they vet every person on the basis of these things. And so these prophets are like, who is this going to be? At what time is this going to happen? When is God going to set up his rule? When is he going to save us? When is he going to deliver us? For instance, um, in the book of Daniel, uh, the people of Israel were were conquered by another nation. And God spoke to Daniel and he gave him this vision uh, of restoration. He talked about this guy named the Son of Man who would come, and the Son of Man would deliver them. And this is this beautiful picture that God gives Daniel of God's glory shining on the faces of his people as they live peacefully in the land. And I love what happens here in Daniel uh, chapter 12. And it's funny because when we think of prophets, we think of these stoic people who go into a trance of some sort and they just say what they say, and that's it. But look at what happens here. Verse 5. Then I, Daniel, looked. And behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand towards the heavens and swore by him who lives forever, that it would be for time, times, and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. So if you didn't know what that meant, wait and see what Daniel says next. I heard, but I did not understand. <laughs> times, times, time and a half, shattering of holy people. What does this mean? He says, "O oh Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And then God speaks to him and we see what he says in verse 13. God says this, he says, go your way till the end and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. And so here's Daniel. He gets this vision and he's like, yeah, but when is this going to happen? And and the the angel who's giving him this message says times, times, time and a half. And he's like, yeah, but for real, when is this going to happen? And God says, wait. Wait to the end. Wait and you will see. It's kind of the the prophet's version of are we there yet? They know they're going somewhere. They know it's going to be good and they're pestering their parents. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? I want this. This is going to be great. I remember last year we were doing uh, uh, shopping for Operation Christmas Child. And my son, he just turned four on Wednesday. And we were at uh, the store. And what we did is we, we decided we were going to let Owen choose which toys we were going to send to this kid. And so what we did is we chose, uh, you choose the age range and gender of the kid you're going to send toys to. So we chose two to four-year-old boy. And we said, Owen, find toys that are cool. And so for us, we saw this great thing of Owen being like, oh, this child will love this toy. This child will enjoy this toy. But instead, we sicked a three-year-old on a store telling him to pick out any toys that he wanted only to find out at the end they weren't going to be his toys. And, and he, he spent all this time like running around being like, this toy's good, this toy's good. And we like put him in carts and he's getting so excited and they find out, these toys aren't for me. And in, 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 it's really similar to what the prophets are doing here. They see this hope. God says, it's coming, it's going to be real, there's going to be this person, there's going to be peace, there's going to be restoration. They're like, when? And God's like, later. It's like, so. so, so this actually comes from, uh, I had uh, an, an intern, a youth group, uh, probably would have been eight years ago now. And this guy, I was gonna be gone for a week and I wanted him to preach passage. We're going through First Peter, and he got this passage. And I will never forget. It was the best sermon I've ever heard from any of my interns. Stephen, you could top it later, uh, but it was great because I had read this passage before, and I was like, whatever. But he 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 pulled us into this prophet's world, and here's this promise of life, this promise of hope. It's like God is going to happen tomorrow. Tomorrow are you going to save us? Tomorrow are you going to free us? God says, no, it's not going to happen tomorrow. Next month. Next month would be a great time to do that. It's not going to be tomorrow. It's not going to be next month. What about in this year? Will I have that salvation this year? Will I see your glory this year? Will we have your Christ this year? Will you establish your kingdom this year? He says, wait. Wait a little longer. Wait till the end. And as much as we hear about people like Moses and Elijah and Solomon and David and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Abraham, as much as we hear about these revered figures of faith, they never saw the Lord's Christ. And Christ is not Jesus's last name. Christ is the word that means Messiah. And here, Peter's saying that the prophets spoke of this Messiah that would come. And we look back and say, man, if I could only have the faith of Moses. Man, if I was only bold like Daniel. Man, if I just had the same relationship with God that Ezekiel had. But they never saw what you saw. They never saw this thing that they anxiously longed for and waited for. So can you imagine their joy? Here are these heroes of the Old Testament faith speaking about things to come, speaking of this Christ, and they're up in heaven and they're looking down and they see this carpenter dude named Jesus who comes and he says, I am the son of man. And Daniel's on the court. He's like, excuse me, what'd you say? And then he comes and he starts talking about being the person of God. He says he's going to bring the people of God to the place of God. And all of a sudden, all of these prophets of old are looking down. They're like, this is it. This is what we talked about. This is the hope. It's coming. And Jesus lived among these people and it was among these people that he proclaimed his message. It was among these people that he lived and died. And this is where we begin to see this next group of people. This is where we see the preacher's delight. And what the prophets proclaimed in veiled language like times, times, time and a half, those who lived on this side of the cross preached Jesus with great clarity. Look at what Peter continues with in verse 12. It was revealed to them, that's the prophet's, That they were not serving themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels long to look. So you have to remember here, Peter's writing this book to churches, churches which are in modern day Turkey, scattered around, and these churches aren't primarily filled with Jews they're primarily filled with non-Jewish people. And this is important because here he's talking about these prophets. He's talking about this Old Testament. And the Old Testament or the Torah, it was a Jewish book because it talked of this ethnic nation, Israel. It talked about God's promises to them. God's promises to restore Israel. God's promise to bring a, a, a son from the lion or from the tribe of Judah to be his king. So that was their story. But here God is saying that this book is your book. This book matters to you. And the reason why the Jews didn't buy into Christianity is because they looked at what Jesus did and they said, that's not our Christ. That's not our Messiah. He didn't overthrow Rome. He didn't roll up with a crown. But here Peter is saying to the non-Jews that this Jesus is your Jesus. And here he's saying to the Jews that this Jesus is your Christ He's pulling both sides of the aisle together and he's saying on one side, we have the spirit of Christ proclaiming in scripture the grace to come. And on the other side of Christ, we have the Holy Spirit bringing to life the scriptures through the preaching of the gospel or what's translated here is literally the good news. You see, the good news made sense of the prophets and the prophets spoke to the good news. What the prophets longed for, people on this side of the cross, you get to see with your own eyes. And you see, when you see the big picture of what the Bible points to, It changes things. I was watching um, the Good Dinosaur with Owen for his birthday, uh, and Disney movies just keep getting like scarier and scarier for little kids. And so he was—he was almost four. It's like a few days before we went out of order, and we're watching. How many of you have seen the Good Dinosaur? Okay, so it's like a Disney movie. So five minutes in, the dad toast, Um, and so we're watching this, and it's like this. It's like Lion King with water, like where Mufasa gets trampled by wildebeest, this daddy dinosaur is trying to climb this cliff, and this flash flood just like pff, dead, dead dad. He goes away. And Owen's like, <laughs> Owen's like, what happened? And it's like his birthday, we had a nerf war. I wasn't gonna be like, well, the dad just died. And so I was I was honest, and I said, got washed away. Dad got washed away. And then this dinosaur goes on this journey uh, because he is lost from home. And he goes on this journey. He has visions of his dad. And Owen's always like, where's his dad? Is he going to find his dad? He's like, whatever, he'll forget about it. And then the end of the movie comes and the dinosaur returns from his... The the, the point of the the story is that the dinosaur gets home. It has nothing to do with his dad because Walt Disney hates father figures. And so the dad is out of the storyline and the dinosaur gets home. And this is like the end of the movie. And in total shock and dismay... Owen's like, "Where's the dad?" And we don't know what to do, but Sarah, who, who has Owen, she's like, "Owen, the dad is dead." And Owen just like looks at the screen, and in a cry of disbelief, he's like, "The dad is dead?" <laughs> it's like, "What have I been watching this whole time? He went to go find his dad, and the dad is dead!" Like the entire movie changed for him. What he thought was about a movie where a kid was gonna go find his dad was just a dad dying and a kid going for a really long walk and his whole world came crashing down. See, Owen was watching a different movie than we were watching because he had a different story. And in the same way, when we miss the center of what makes the Bible, the Bible, we miss the whole movie of scripture. We miss the whole point of what it's really about. You see, when we look at what the prophets spoke about, what the prophets longed for, when we look at what the New Testament epistles and the apostles were talking about, we see that the whole Bible is about Jesus. We have nothing to talk about as the Christian church if we're not talking about Jesus because this book is all about Jesus. And I want to to caution us that that we don't mistake Jesus talk for gospel talk. A lot of people talk about Jesus. Jesus. A lot of people will say Jesus' name a lot, but it's different to talk about Jesus than it is to talk about Jesus' gospel. You see, the greatest benefit comes when we see Jesus at the center of our gospel. Not just that Jesus loves us and that Jesus lived, but that Jesus came to die for your sins. And he rose again so that you might have life and life abundantly and be restored to God forever. This salvation is this salvation that Peter's talking about. If you want a hope that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you, it's not just the news that there is a God. It's not just the news that Jesus loves you. The inheritance that is imperishable, the salvation that longed prophets' hearts, is that Jesus came and he died for your sin. You see, oftentimes, myself included, we can become frustrated and disappointed in the lack of benefit Christianity has for us. We've read our Bible, we feel dry. We've gone to church, it still doesn't make sense. But the question that Peter's asking us here is are you reading the right story? Do you understand the centrality of the good news of Jesus dying for your sins? Because here we see that it's only through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ that the whole scripture has any benefit to us. You see that? The prophets spoke about Jesus, spoke about a grace to come, but what brought the prophecies to life wasn't just t- excuse me, time in history, what brought the prophecies to life was the good news of Jesus Christ being preached. You see, you can read the Bible till you're blue in the face, but if you miss Jesus, it amounts to nothing. It becomes an awkward inflatable mat that you try to fit into your life, but you can't find anything. But Jesus is far more than that. The use of scripture points us ever and always to Jesus Christ. You see, in Luke 24, Jesus had died and he had risen again and he was appearing to his disciples. And there are these two guys, uh, we don't know their names, they're on a road to Emmaus and uh, they're wandering along. And I just want to pick up the story that happens in Luke 24, starting in verse 13. It says, That very day two of them, that's two disciples, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. I love this story. So just stop, imagine, stop thinking we're reading the Bible. Just read this story as a story. They're walking, this random dude comes up to him. His, we know this guy's Jesus. They don't. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he, that's Jesus, said to them, What is this conversation you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, I guess we do know their names, I lied to you, uh, Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here these days? And Jesus says to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who is a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people and how the chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucify him. But we had hoped that he was the one Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Can you imagine if some dude on the road is like, why do you think this guy's dead, you foolish person? It's like, these ladies say he's alive and we don't believe him. And this guy's like, well, it's because you're an idiot. Jesus just is insulting these people for thinking that a dead guy can't come back to life. And he says, you foolish ones. But why are they foolish? Because you didn't believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things, or he interpreted to them all the things in Scripture concerning himself. Did you see that? Jesus frames all of Scripture. In light of himself, where Peter says all of the prophets spoke about Jesus, Jesus himself here says that he came to fulfill all the prophets said concerning him. Peter says the Bible's all about Jesus. Jesus says the Bible's all about Jesus. But then look at how these men responded Luke 24, verse 32. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened to us the scriptures? You see, that feeling that those men had on the road to Emmaus is the same anticipation the prophets had, but it comes with a full understanding of what Jesus actually did. You see, that anxious, awkward feeling Feeling That we all know that testifies to a missing hope, to an offer of joy, to a shot at comfort. All those things that make our hearts burn when we find the gospel of Jesus Christ. It comes to us in Jesus. If you want to have a, a religious experience, it doesn't come from singing songs and wild prayers or spending a time on a mountaintop. An emotional experience with Jesus comes from the salvation Jesus brings us. It's what the Bible points to. It's what Jesus points to. It's what shows should excite us. You see, the Bible doesn't exist to make us philosophers. It doesn't exist to make us moral people. It doesn't ma- exist to make us a voting block. It doesn't exist to make us historians, churchgoers, Bible readers. All those things are good, but it's not the end. The Bible exists to point us to the Jesus who died for their, our sins to point us to the message of the prophets, proclaim to those around us that the point of the whole Bible comes down to Jesus dying for our sins, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for those of you who have wrestled with the usability of the Bible, with what this looks like in your life, with how this becomes sustainable, I wanna offer you two, uh, two tips, I guess is a, a word. <laughs> it's a word. Uh, the first is that you pray. Pray that God would open your eyes the same way he opened the hearts of those men on the road. That he would cause your hearts to burn as you read scripture and you see Jesus on every page. Have you thought about that? I was, I've been reading in the Psalms in the morning and the one thing that I found interesting is there's this constant phrase the psalmist use, and it says, hear my morning cry. How many times in the morning do you cry to Jesus before your day starts? Jesus, show me you. Be big in my life. I want to know you more. I want to see you more. I want to live for you more. How many of you, before you open the Bible, ever pray for it? Or you see it as a completely man-centered event where you read it? You're going to look at it. You're going to make something up, and that's good. But how many of you beg that God is merciful to you as you read the pages of Scripture? Secondly, put in the effort to establish habits of reading the Bible well. We often read the Bible poorly, we often don't set aside time, we're often distracted, but the Bible testifies to a hope that left left prophets speechless, and that hope is ours in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's that last group of believers we want to look at tonight, and that's the believer's benefit. It left prophets preoccupied with the gospel, it made preachers delight in the fulfillment of the gospel, but it's of a benefit to the believer's. I just want to say here, what do I mean when I talk about reading the Bible well? See, a lot of people try to find benefit in Christianity by finding themselves somewhere in the Bible. It's a, a really common thing I've heard. I've even at points have used this phrase, but a common Bible study practice is to open up a text and to read it and to ask, what does this text say about you? If you want to apply it to your life, what is it saying to you? Where do you find yourself in this passage? And this is a good question. It's a question that even uh, we will discuss here at GCF, but it has to have a right order. The first thing we want to talk about when we talk about the Bible isn't where do we find you? I had a membership interview for a couple at our church who have been at our church for a long time on Sunday. And uh, I sat and I was uh, talking to this woman about her testimony. And she spoke with great pain and anguish as she told me about the things that had happened to her in her life the things that she had done, the things that people had done to her. Then I asked her one question we asked all of our members, or at least I do when I did the interview. I said, how has the gospel become more beautiful to you? That's actually the first thing that Thomas Terry is going to talk about on our retreat. It's just 20 minutes the first night. He's going to answer the question, how did the gospel become beautiful to you? So I asked that question to her and she began to cry. And what she didn't say is, I opened the Bible and I found myself. What she said as she opened the Bible, she found hope. She found hope that Jesus took her shame. She found hope that Jesus died her death. She found found hope that Jesus undid her guilt. She found hope that Jesus brought her peace. She found hope that Jesus offered her salvation. And she wept because she didn't find herself in scripture, but because she found Jesus in scripture. And when she found Jesus, she found where she truly belonged. You see, the Bible isn't about you, but it is for you. Look back at that text if you have your Bible open in 1 Peter and just note what it says. Verse 10, it says, The prophets prophesied concerning the grace that was to be yours. It goes on to say that they preached the good news to you, things which angels long to look. Verse 10, or excuse me, a verse we looked at last week says that salvation is held in heaven for you. These things are preserved for you. You see, the Bible is for you. Because the Bible is about Jesus, and no one is for you more than Jesus is for you. You see, the benefit of the Bible isn't that we become religious or spiritually enlightened or that we find ourselves. The benefit of the Bible is that we find Jesus in Scripture, and Jesus begins to explain us. You see, through Jesus, the earth was created. And it was created to glorify God, and it was also made to benefit man. It was looking forward to Jesus that God promised Abraham that he would restore his people. It was in the shadow of Jesus that good kings like David and Solomon and Josiah ruled the people in peace and prosperity. It was the model of Jesus that Jonah, the reluctant prophet, refused to go share the good news with people until he had spent three days in the belly of a fish, pointing to the willing prophet who would open the storehouses of salvation after spending three three days in the grave. It was the work of Jesus that Jeremiah saw in the valley of dry bones, bringing life and death to a lifeless people. It was the spirit of Jesus which turned Ezekiel's heart of stone to a heart of flesh. It was for the salvation of his people that Jesus lived, died, and rose again. Do not underestimate the weight of this salvation, which is for you. Every other hope this world offers is for humanity. It's for whoever seems to identify with it. But this salvation, this gospel, is for you. If this promise-keeping, peace-giving, death-breaking, life-breathing, heart-changing good news is not for your greatest benefit, if it doesn't weigh on your heart as an ultimate change, then you know nothing concerning this salvation. But take heart because it's here. Because God has spoken it through the prophets. God has proclaimed it in the church. God has given it to us in the Holy Spirit. And it's beautiful. And it's attractive. We will never have to bear the task of making the gospel glorious. You see, angels... Angels were around uh, probably before the creation of the world. The Bible doesn't give us a specific start date, but it talks about uh, the morning stars rejoicing when the earth was created. They saw the cosmos be put into place. God says to Job, where were you when I laid the cornerstone and all the sons of God rejoiced? They saw him speak into existence the furthest galaxy, the most beautiful cluster of stars. He saw him establish the world and speak gravity into existence. They saw dinosaurs walk the earth. They saw pyramids be constructed. They witnessed the gardens of Babylon and have known the dark side of the moon. The angels have seen things that our greatest dreamers can only imagine to see. But Peter says what they long to look into is the salvation that God has given you. What they desire to know and be affected by is the salvation that is yours in Jesus Christ. It is yours when you plunge your mind into the gospel through the scriptures that God has given us. It is yours when you respond to the preached good news which is preached here. It is yours when you find the experience of delighting in the proclamation of it to others. It is yours in the morning. It is yours in the evening. It is yours when you're dry. It is yours when you're full. The benefit of the gospel is that it is ours. It is offered freely. This gospel, this Bible, this ministry exists that we may know and experience through faith the joy which all of history longs to participate in. The salvation of God through the cross of Jesus Christ. So let's hear this message. Let's believe this message and let's go together in this message. You see, the benefit of Jesus, the thing that takes him from an awkward Uh, item we try to fit to our lives is when we see that his salvation is for us prophesied of old made real on the cross and accepted through faith let's pray lord we thank you for your word we thank you that you have spoken to us through your prophets we thank you that you've given us the bible that you've given us something which proclaims to us your goodness that captures for us uh, a message that you didn't need to give us. You could have uh, given us salvation, you could have made a way and never told us about it, and you would have been completely just. You could have hidden it like a buried treasure map and left only the brightest or the most adventurous to discover it, but Lord, you've given it to us in your word. And you've given us a message as a people to proclaim that Jesus died for our sins, that we might know Jesus, that this salvation that is imperishable, undefiled, and kept in heaven for us is for us through Jesus who accomplished it. Lord, I thank you for this message. I thank you for this salvation. Lord, I pray in this room that this gospel preached by the power of the Holy Spirit will be seen as for us, by faith, for the glory of God, and the joy of those who believe. Amen.